turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Some people think that the Christian life is just so wonderful, you don't have any problems, you're forgiven of your sins, everything is easy. That's not true. Discipleship is tough, but God's grace is sufficient, and the world does hate us, and we're the enemies of Satan, and there's persecution, and all kinds of difficulties and conflicts that go into it, and and Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this before it ever happens, so that when it does happen, you won't stumble and say, boy, nobody told me this, I didn't think it would be like this. There must be something wrong with my faith. Many of us have been told over and over that God wants us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. Read Job. Read Hebrews 11. The Bible teaches consistently that He wants our lives to glorify Him. In fact, Jesus prayed in John 17 that through our lives, the world would believe that the Father had sent Jesus. Sometimes that requires suffering. And sometimes it generates suffering as we communicate that message to folks who don't like it. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our subject is hindrances to the gospel as we study 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As we've been seeing, there are things we sometimes do that make it harder for people to believe the gospel or easier to make excuses for rejecting it. And there are things we can do that amplify and reinforce our message, giving it credibility. One of the biggest proofs of Jesus' power in our lives is our endurance in the face of persecution and other trials. I was raised by a generation that didn't give up. The greatest generation, they were called. My dad was a World War II veteran, and he always stressed perseverance. If you start something, you see it through. When I wanted to take up a musical instrument, his first question was if I'd stay with it. Same with a sport. You just don't quit. That's a great attitude. It gets things done. But quite often, it's easier said than done, isn't it? If you're following in your Bible, our main text today is 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7. So keep your finger there as we examine some other helpful passages. Here's Pastor Steve to show us in the Bible how to persevere. On October... 29th in the year 1941, Winston Churchill stood before an audience at Harrow School and gave what is now a a very famous speech, a brief speech. He said these, these words, and these were all the words he said. He got up and he said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense, never give in. And then the man just sat down. And I'm sure that Churchill left his audience that day stunned as they uh, left. Uh, they were just left by him to consider his very terse call to endurance and perseverance. But I want you to know, though, this is a very famous speech. Churchill's words were forceful in their presentation, but they were weak. 
They lack substance. And I'll tell you why. Because he never said how anyone was to endure. How were they to endure? He told them never to give up, but he failed to tell them how to persevere, how to be steadfast, how to endure in the face of trials and conflicts. That's that's really what they needed to hear, not just a pep talk about don't give in. Now, the Bible has also a great deal to say about not giving in to the enemies of our souls. However, the Bible never leaves us in doubt about the resources that God has provided that enable us to endure during times of, of conflict. For example, you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer is addressing a persecuted people. These uh, Jewish believers who had come to faith in Christ were persecuted by the unsaved Jewish community. And having just told these these folks in chapter 11 about the heroes of faith, about the men and women of Old Testament times who have run the race before them, and they, they ran by faith, they trusted God. That's why we call them the heroes of faith. The writer says this, and this is his conclusion. This is his application. This is where he's going. Verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, doesn't mean they're looking down upon us. What he means is they're witnessing to us, they're testifying to us that they've already run the race. They crossed the finish line. You can do it by faith. He says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And their sin, I might add, was the sin of unbelief. He said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have the Old Testament believers who demonstrated faith. And then he says in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. He means that Jesus as as the God-man, the way he lived on earth was by faith in the Father and his word, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what the writer is telling us is that not just that we're, we're to persevere, but here's how you persevere, by faith in the word of God. By trust, just like the Old Testament men like Abraham and and Noah and Moses and, and a woman like Rahab and Sarah. That's how you do it. You trust God's word and that's how Jesus lived. So the writer tells us don't give in, but don't give in by this, the resources, trusting the word of God. There's another important passage of scripture that tells us our resources how not to give in, how to endure the onslaughts of the enemy. And that's Ephesians 6. You don't need to turn there. But in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us that God has provided the armor, spiritual uh, armor for warfare. And basically, it's a righteous life. It's obedience to the word of God. These are our spiritual weapons when, when the devil comes against us and the onslaughts against our soul. And he's not saying that you'll never have problems. What he is saying is that you're going to get problems. You're going to, you're going to get it from Satan and all of his demonic forces. But understand, if you put on the armor of God, when the dust settles, you'll still be standing. You'll not be crushed. You'll not be broken. You'll not be defeated. Acts chapter 14. The Bible tells us in verses 21 and 22 that when Paul and Barnabas, after they preached the gospel, they returned to certain cities and they strengthened the disciples' faith the new believers' faith. How did they strengthen them? How did they help them to endure? Here's what Luke in Acts 14 tells us. He said, they strengthened the disciples' faith by telling them that it's through many trials that we must enter the kingdom of God. That is to say, we we want you to understand the Christian life is not going to be easy, that you will persevere, but you will have trouble. 
You persevere by knowing the troubles ahead so that it doesn't doesn't take you by surprise. It's the same thing Jesus said in John 16, 1, having just told them the disciples that without him there, the world is going to focus on them and hate them. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, meaning the things about the world's hatred, so that you may be kept from stumbling. There are some people who think that the Christian life is just so wonderful. You don't have any problems. You're forgiven of your sins. Everything is easy. That's not true. Discipleship is tough, but God's grace is sufficient and the world does hate us and we're the enemies of Satan and there's persecution and all kinds of difficulties and conflicts that go into it. And and Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this before it ever happens so that when it does happen, you won't stumble and say, "Why nobody told me this. I didn't think it would be like this. There must be something wrong with my faith. So the Bible gives very clear instruction on how Christians in general are to persevere in the ongoing battles of life. By understanding the truth, by knowing we have the word of God, by the armor of God and things of that nature. However, I want you to understand that those who lead the church, those who are called to leadership positions in the church face unique challenges in this area because not only do they face the same struggles that all believers face, but in addition to that, they also face a satanic onslaught that threatens to destroy their effectiveness and their credibility for the ministry and for the cause of Christ. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to continue our study in this wonderful book this morning. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul addresses specifically the issues of credibility. And he does it by writing in verse 3, and this is our opening statement. He says this, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul says that his concern for his life is that he would never be a hindrance to the spread of the gospel, that no one would ever look at him and say that if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. If that's the way a Christian behaves, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even think about coming to Christ. Paul said, I don't want my life to ever justify someone's rebellion and unbelief towards Christ. I want my life to be clean. I don't ever want anyone to laugh at the gospel because of the way that I that I behave. So he didn't want anyone stumbling, he's saying, over his behavior as an excuse for not coming to Christ. So in the following verses, what Paul does is he uh, he reveals to us that life was hard for him, very difficult. Every day of his life was was difficult, but he tells us that he did honor Christ because he endured and he did not quit. Verse 4, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. He means, I want you to know that I, I am a servant of God. And you could know that I commend myself, not in a bragging way, but in a truthful, honest way that I am a servant of God. Well, how would you know this? How would anyone know that Paul's a true servant of God? How, anyone, how would anyone know that we really belong to Christ? The key phrase is the next phrase, in much endurance, in much endurance. What he means is this, that it's by steadfast endurance in the midst of troubles, by perseverance, that you know that I truly represent Christ. And his point is this, why would I go through all of this, all of the hassles, all of the persecutions, all of the difficulties, all of the conflicts, if Christianity wasn't true, if I wasn't really a messenger of Christ, if I wasn't really an ambassador for Jesus Christ, why would I put up with this? The tent-making business was a lot better than this. Why would I do it? 
because Christ is real. And I want you to, to notice, and I've said this before, but in much endurance is the key statement. That's just not my opinion here. I'm saying this because it stands alone in these verses because number one, it's singular. Almost all the other statements that Paul will make are, uh, are plural. This is singular. He also puts an adjective to it. He describes it. It's not just endurance, it's much endurance. And that becomes the key phrase, meaning that in much endurance, he endured these things. In much endurance, here's how he lived. In much endurance, this is what was going on. It was his steadfast endurance and loyalty to Jesus in the thick of conflicts that proved he was a legitimate servant of Jesus Christ. So what Paul does is he takes the next few verses to present his endurance, his perseverance, his steadfastness in the face of difficulties as the primary marks of credibility as a faithful servant of Christ. And as I said, here's his argument. This is the whole point. No one in his right mind would go through all of this unless Christ had called him, unless he was a true disciple. You see, though though you and I are not apostles, and many of you are not even in leadership positions in the church, you need to understand that this is very, very pertinent to you because your witness for Christ is believable to others only when they see that you endure. When they see that that in the midst of difficulties, you persevere, that you're not a, a fair weather follower. A- anybody can smile and say, praise the Lord and Jesus is great in the sunshine. It's in the dark hours of difficulty. It's, it's when trials hit and you still persevere and follow the Lord and have the attitude that Job had when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's when you do that, then people begin to, to take notice that you are truly a servant of Christ and that Jesus must be something special and must be real and must be worth it all for you to endure in all of this. And that's why Paul takes verses four through 10 to give us a list of the specific kinds of things he, he did endure for the service of Christ. And uh, remember, his purpose in doing this is to validate his ministry to the Corinthians, who I might add, were questioning whether he was a legitimate servant. We're questioning his apostolic ministry. Why? Because false teachers had come into the church and totally accused Paul of being a phony and a fake and a liar and a crafty schemer and, and a man who was not an apostle, and they promoted themselves as apostles. He'll call them later false apostles. And so that shows you a little bit of the conflict going on. So Paul is defending himself in this letter. And specifically here, he is, he is defending himself as a true and legitimate servant of Christ. And for the last few weeks, we've been going through Paul's list of what he endured in the face of trials. And what we've done is we've classified his trials under several categories. Let me quickly mention them. In verse 4, he speaks about the general trials. These are just the general pressures pressures that come with, with serving the Lord. No matter what your service is, uh, you're going to have this. Afflictions, hardships, and distresses. No matter what you do in the ministry of Lakeside, or any other church, or any other outside ministry, you're going to have general trials. It just goes with the territory. The beginning of verse 5, he speaks about sufferings inflicted upon him by others in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults. This is just physical persecution that Paul endured because he stood for the truth and people opposed the truth. The rest of uh, verse 5, he speaks about self-inflicted hardships. These are things that nobody put upon Paul, but in his in his commitment and depth of service to Christ, this came upon him. He says in, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, Paul endured fatigue and sleep deprivation and hunger in his service for Christ. Certainly not all the time, but enough of the time so that it became a hardship. 
He worked very hard. He lost sleep. He didn't have time always to eat. And he genuinely deprived himself of some creature comforts for the cause of Christ. Now, the next set of words in verse 6, and this is where we left off last time we studied this, they have to do not so much with any specific trial or, or even with the... Uh, any any conflict, but what he's doing is he's telling us about godly character qualities as he faced the trials, as he went through the conflicts. These are godly character qualities. Let's look at verse 6, and let me just mention it quickly. In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. This is how he behaved. This is his exemplary life. He's saying, in spite of incredible stress and pressure in my life, I did, by God's grace, manage to live an exemplary life. This is the life, by the way, that we should all be living. This is what people will take notice of so that the gospel is not disgraced, so that it is not discredited. He says that he endured in purity, meaning that there were no scandals in his life, no sexual scandals, no no uh, financial scandals. His motives were pure. He endured in knowledge in that he never wavered from a clear understanding of the gospel, never altered his message to please people or to make himself popular. He had the truth and he just stuck with it. He was patient and kind with people who verbally and and physically abused him, didn't retaliate. He lived his life, he said, under the Holy Spirit's control. That is to say, he obeyed the Spirit of God's voice, which is the Bible. And that's why he had a genuine love for people. He cared about them because love is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, before we leave this verse, I think it's terribly important to understand that this is the world we live in. This is relevant for us. This is not something just a first century history. This is where we're living because so much damage has been done in recent years in disgracing the gospel because ministers have not always been sexually pure or financially pure. So much has gone on in our in our world in recent times, there are men who have damaged Christ's reputation by dishonoring the Lord through sexual lust and extramarital affairs and financial greediness. And I understand by the grace of God, we all, we all stand. But this stuff is just wrong. And this is the stuff that the world laughs at Christianity because of. This is the stuff that, that the media gets hold of and just amplifies. And it's inexcusable. There are ministers who have been ignorant instead of being knowledgeable. They don't study the word like they should. They really don't understand God's word. Maybe they understand the culture, but they don't, they don't understand the word or they've altered the message because it, it might come across too offensive or too hard or too, too dogmatic or authoritative. There are some ministers who have been overbearing instead of being patient. When somebody uh, verbally criticizes them, they strike back. That's just wrong. There are some ministers who have been rude instead of being kind and and sort of um, just excusing it with a verse, touch not the Lord's anointed. So you can't ever say anything about me and I have every license to be rude to you. There have been some ministers who have been unspiritual instead of being under the Holy Spirit's control. There have been some ministers who have been hypocritical in their love instead of being genuine in their concern for the sheep. Just sort of a militant attitude, even towards God's people, a, a harshness. That's just not right. And they, what they've done is they've discredited the ministry in the name of Christ. Now, you may not be a pastor. We're certainly not apostles here. But your behavior as a Christian will either enhance or hurt, damage the reputation of Jesus Christ. That's, that's reality. It really depends on the depth of your commitment to Christ. So don't, don't read this and say, well, that was Paul. That was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't really matter. 
People are observing you. If they're not consciously observing you, they're observing you anyway. They're observing you. So Paul's behavior, and I might add under stressful conditions, under fatigue, under sleeplessness, under hunger, still serves as a model for us. We never want to use the excuse, oh, I'm sorry I was rude and nasty. I just didn't sleep well the night before. I've been under a lot of pressure. Listen, nobody was under Paul's pressure. Nobody here has been under Paul's pressure like he was. Nobody, nobody's lost sleep consistently like Paul did. Nobody's had his life threatened here like, like Paul did. And yet he never used that as an excuse and say, you know, I'm just functioning on three hours of sleep and I haven't had much nutrition lately. No, none of that can ever serve to justify ungodliness. Now this morning, we want to continue looking at Paul's list of what he endured in his service for Christ. But interestingly enough, as we come to verse 7, there's something different. In verse 7, Paul lists three things that are not trials. They're not even behavior patterns. And you might look at it and say, well, what is he, what is he doing? In verse 7, Paul tells us not uh, that, that he endured so much, but he tells us how he endured. He takes it a step beyond what Winston Churchill said. He doesn't just tell us, uh, don't give in. He says, here's how you don't give in. Here are the resources that God has provided. Here are the means by which you can handle conflicts. Here's how I endured. Let's look at verse 7. He writes, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. These are three resources that God has provided so that you and I will not falter in ministry, so that you and I will, will not um, give in. This is what he's provided. And you've got to take it. You've got to take these provisions. And as you do, you'll demonstrate, just as Paul did, that, that you're a true servant of Christ by persevering regardless of the obstacles. Now, we'll look at two of these, these spiritual resources this week. I was going to do three, but I got so caught up in this. I have finally found a passage of Scripture that I'm going slower than John MacArthur on. It is remarkable. I never thought it would be in that day. You know, it took him, I think, eight years to cover the Gospel of Matthew. So, uh, But this has just honestly arrested my attention, and uh, so I, I just have to go with that. Let's look at verse 7 again. He says, In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Now, with this statement, Paul announces how he conducts his ministry. These are the means by which he endured and the key to endurance for us. Endurance in the face of adversity is one of the most effective tools in validating our testimony that Jesus is Lord and Savior. One recent example is the radio station I am helping to build in West Africa. As the project was nearing completion, a freak storm blew the roofs off the studio and transmitter buildings. A piece of roof severed one of the guy wires on the 190-foot-tall broadcast tower, which brought down the tower. The townspeople expected the missionaries to pack up and go home. It's what they would have done. They are amazed by the missionaries' desire to stay and practically start all over, even at double the effort and at a tremendous increase in expense. Now they know that what those missionaries have to tell them is worth listening to. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, and we're glad you were able to join us today. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in Clearwater and would like to meet Pastor Steve, he'd love to meet you too. Check out the Lakeside website for service times and the address. Go to lakesidechapel.com. Or you can call the church office at 727-441-1714. Here's the number again, 727-441-1714. 
or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Pastor Steve would like me to remind you of a resource for our blind listeners. It's a free audio Bible. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind, you can get your free audio Bible by calling 800-838-5924 or visiting www.blindbibles.com. That's 800-838-5924 or blindbibles.com. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we value the generous people whose gifts help us to continue these daily radio Bible classes. If you'd like to be a part of that support team, we have giving information on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the giving link to read about our philosophy of giving and to find another link to a page where you can give easily and securely right from your web browser. That's versebyverseradio.org. Also on our website, you can stream or download any of our hundreds of previous broadcasts. You'll find them on the Message Archive page. Feel free to download them and listen at your convenience. And if you have a friend who would like to listen but can't tune in, tell them about that link too. This is Jerry Peterson. When I mentioned my dad's stick earlier, I didn't say how his generation did it. I think it was mostly grit and sheer determination. That certainly helps, but it will only take us so far, as I'm sure you've already noticed by now. But as Christ followers, we have something extra. Pastor Steve will explain on the next Verse by Verse. We are here to give you strength between